What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great, but having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's official podcast of the officials. <laughs> I'm Joel Gasson with John Fraser as usual. And uh, yeah, apparently last week we picked up a bit of an audience with uh, the stripes of the CFL and maybe just generally across Canada and various sports. Who knows? But uh the word of that came from you, one John Fraser, because of course last right. week we discussed uh, Tom Valesi and his uh, f bomb that echoed throughout Mosaic Stadium and across Canada, right? And how much we enjoyed it and how much fun it actually was. And I guess the league had to find him, but at least nothing else really came of it beyond that. Um, I, I feel like it was probably like a okay, hand us twenty bucks and we'll say yeah. we find kind of thing. Hopefully that's all that was. But what stood out was I remember waking up the next morning and looking at the numbers and being like, huh. <laughs> that's that's a lot more listens than we normally have overnight when we post this thing at like 11 o'clock local and probably no one should have been listening at this point that's fair yeah and the numbers just kind of kept rising steadily throughout the course of the day and i was like huh apparently people like ref swearing and then uh i was about to ask you and talk to you about it before you even let me know that uh apparently one of your buddies let sort of the officials community know that we talked about this and uh they all got on board. They they, they really <laughs> did. I actually, uh, I've alluded to it before. I'm friends with one CFL official who I didn't even text him directly. That was not the first point of contact. He happened to reach out to me after another friend of mine who's also an official was like, hey, that was a good take. That was the correct take. We enjoyed it, and we all kind of had to listen to it. So apparently we are the official podcast of the CFL officials. So does that means we got to be real nice to them, right? And I mean, in fairness, we are generally mm -hmm. pretty. We're not one of those uh, those podcasts that will ever blame something on the officials, as as no. you and I have said countless amounts of times. That if it's in the hands of one call, you didn't do your job in the first place. No, I mean, as as I've said countless times, even when we're talking about individual plays, one play does not decide a football game. So one penalty is not going to decide a football game, right, wrong, or indifferent. So I've I don't I can't remember the last time like I've talked about some bad calls in my pieces after games and on these podcasts, right. but I've never actually specifically said it. And I always make a point to say, ultimately, this never really decides the game. So no. if we are if that, and so because of that, if we are the official podcast of the officials, 
I welcome it, and we may change our name to the Three Down Stripe Cast. You know, I, I feel like <laughs> this week we could almost change our name because I don't know how much talking about that snoozer of a like late season preseason game that was like. No, it just, there there wasn't a, a lot to happen. So maybe we are the Three Down Stripe Cast for for this week. Um, which actually would be kind of fitting for the beer I have selected coming up. That's what we know in this business as a tease, but hmm. that was cool. I, I, I hope the CFL officials stick around. I hope everybody that listened last week stuck around, but knowing the way our trends go, we're probably going to be brought back to earth on this one and remembered that, well, we're decidedly average in terms of listening audience. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably what's going to happen, and that's okay. I mean, especially after the game that we saw on the weekend, because... Uh, Generally speaking, I would say rider performance tends to impact the number to decide whether people listen or not. That's kind of right. one thing I've noticed. And bad games usually spike the numbers a bit, but not when it's expected to be bad, I don't think. And especially with how diff- indifferent generally everyone is like, there was almost no activity on Twitter during that game whatsoever from pretty much anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I, I know especially like locally, um, obviously a big kudos. Well, it was a huge, again, local football day here mm-hmm. as the same day that the Riders were playing basically a preseason game, you know, out in Hamilton, you had the Huskies playing for the Hardy Cup at home and putting on a show for the ages in that one. You had the Hilltops going to try to return to the Canadian Bowl and getting upset in Langley. And then day one of the Canadian Olympic curling trails. I can tell you, I've never seen it that slow at a car dealership ever possibly in my life. It was just one of those days that people's minds were not on buying cars and also apparently not on the Rough Riders. I'm with you, Joel. Like, I I don't think I saw a single tweet. And I have a very CFL-heavy echo chamber that Mm -hmm. about that game, about anybody being upset or anybody really care. It seemed like there was way more reaction to either Sergio having a game or the fact that, you know, the Elks moves today were a good sign of that. But yeah, like, it was just quiet. Uh, Again, my feed was filled with husky stuff and um to quote the you know the a great bit on letter kenny as i had no wife or children around for the weekend i decided i was in it to win it uh and definitely went into that night knowing i was going to have eight beers uh which also led to me becoming somewhat uh uh, somewhat uh, notorious around Sastel Center that night. Uh, and my friend uh, and, and friend of the program, Mike McEwen, of course, with an assist from Colin Hodgson on the sweep, uh, guy that's one of our only guests we've ever had on this on this podcast, and again, mm-hmm. friend of the show, friend of mine. Mike makes a just incredible shot for three, and I'm behind Mike in the stands, surrounded by Saskatchewan fans, and in my drunken stupor, the quiet part came out loud, and I stood up and yelled, fucking A, Mike, with a fist pump. Now, you might think in a fairly full Sastel Center, nobody would hear it. Uh, I had two people that were across the building that have to say, like, hey, that was a great shot by Mike, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, so did you hear it? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I looked over after I did that. Uh, my father-in-law, it was my father-in-law and, and a bunch of guys from the Fantasy Football League who I love hanging out with. And my father-in-law almost had his hand in his face a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's seen, like, all gas, no brakes, John. And that was where I was at last uh, that night and, and, and watching my friends do so well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think the new rallying cry. And, and the, the best part is, is I, I actually saw a call the next day. And I said, well, I hope I didn't embarrass Mike. You know, he makes a big shot and some random DJ yells fucking a Mike. And he's like, oh, no, he smiled. 
he enjoyed it. So fucking A, Mike. Keep going to the trials. So at least that's where my head was at. I had no intention to watch that Ryder game, and I was pretty pissed up by the time I tried to when I got home. I, I wasn't really sure how that story fit into it, but I guess we, we got there at the end. It's a good story, <laughs> and I knew you were going to tell it at some point tonight. I just didn't... <laughs> I was just trying to connect the dots as to why it mattered. I was like, okay, where are we going with this? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You think you'd be used to this by now that a lot of times I talk and you don't think I'm going someplace with it, but I end up there anyways. It's like Mm -hmm. the old Michael Scott line. Sometimes I just talk and I don't know where I'm going to finish, but I get there anyways. Yeah, and uh, the Riders are going to get there anyways as the playoffs are going to start this weekend. So we are, of course, going to talk about uh, look ahead to the game against the Calgary Stampeders a little bit and talk about how that game against Hamilton, despite what some people may say or may think, really has no bearings on what's going forward on that. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to because we recorded a little early last week. and We might not have made the dead. We probably would have missed it anyway if we recorded on a normal night. Um, player awards came out last week. There's only really right. one that's really worth discussing. That's, of course, the Most Outstanding Player Award, which was, uh, in my opinion, a bit of an interesting selection by the voters. Uh, of course, our weekly Sergio update is to come. And then we get to talk about a hopefully extinguishing of a dumpster fire in Edmonton. Yes, let's hope that they have turned that around because I know everybody talks about how the league needs Toronto, the league needs this. The... No, no, no. The league needs a passionate team in, in Edmonton and just with the apathy towards the Elks and what a shit show they were, uh, those moves were great, but uh, we'll save that for later as uh, as that's what they call the business of tease. Yes. And of course before we get to all of that, as usual for the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, John, uh, what is in the glass this week? I was uh, I alluded to it with the stripes mm-hmm. as the can was angled in just a way that I could see the... Um, the white and black stra- uh, stripes of the Nokomist Craft Ales Pale Ale. You know how the P kind of makes that like cool stripey design. Um, Colin their, and I actually went to go grab it for uh, another member of his team that uh, didn't end up making the journey over to the official laundromat of Team McEwen. But uh, so they're still in my fridge. I'm like, hey, what's more perfect than a nice Nokomist Pale Ale? Haven't had one in a while, uh, and I have noticed that our friend Adam Wolf, the Nokomis rep. It's starting to get his stuff in curling clubs. You can now buy it at the Nutana Curling Club, nice. uh, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Always, uh, I think, a aggressively underrated beer in the Saskatchewan oh, beer market. Well, that's it. It's, pale ale. It, yeah. it's one that we, for whatever reason, we never seem to have in the rotation. But it's like every time you drink it or every time you're out someplace that has it, it's just fucking excellent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's basically everything Jeff and Nokomis makes. It's all just straightforward. These are the styles I make. I'm not going to buy in the trends. I'm not going to go, you know, down some weird beaten path. This is going to be the beer I make, and it's just going to be amazing. Oh, and absolutely it is. And mm-hmm. it's funny, uh, I was thinking of you after Colin left, yep. uh, that I also got some of the ca- Cascade Dark Ale. Uh, Ooh, yeah. I'm not a dark guy, but they are sitting in my fridge awaiting your arrival here on Thursday night. That is one you might like. It's uh, CDA is like a black IPA. So it would oh. have a little bit more. It's not just like a straightforward dark ale. There would definitely be some uh, hoppy notes to it as well. Very interesting. Maybe mm. I have lied to you. If that <laughs> is something I'd like, uh, it will certainly almost be gone by the time you arrive Thursday night. That's fair. No no worries about that. Uh, for me, foreshadowing perhaps our weekend ahead, as I have brought out one that I haven't brought out on the show in a very long time, uh, one that will probably be known as the official beer of the hashtag Eight and nation at the trials weekend. <laughs> is that what we're gonna call it? We should try to make that. We should try to make that a thing because mm. that's it's gonna be a blast. 
Yeah. Um, of course, I showed you the picture. I grabbed a few extras uh, as well on top of the flap that I'm bringing up. Is the Scarf Street Blonde from our sponsors at the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Just sort of a straightforward, easy-drinking beer that tastes like beer, which is always delicious. And I think thanks to the new centrifuge tasting, probably even better than usual. Oh, fantastic. I had some Scarf Street Blonde not too long ago. So mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to tasting it after the new centrifuge. And again, thanks to Pile of Bones for always being awesome. And whenever you and I get together mm-hmm. for any sort of events always making sure that uh, we don't really go out anywhere. We just sit around at my house because we have the best beer at, at my house. So, uh, yeah, again, hooking us up. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to 8N Nation. So uh, if there's a lot of curling talk on this podcast, it's because we're in the man of the Olympic curling trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's part of the brand. I think people would expect us probably for it to pop up a little bit. I mean, Right, exactly. It's kind, of, it's kind of our thing, especially when, as I said to you, we're not really going to spend a lot of time on that Ryder game because it, uh, it was a thing. It was 60 minutes of football, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it happened, and it was completely uninteresting and, quite frankly, completely irrelevant in every sort of way. Um, there was, you know, a couple of positive takeaways. There was some of the newer guys who looked pretty good that... I think, uh, you know, you could read the piece on 3down.com to 3downnation.com to kind of get the lowdown on what you what I kind of saw to some of those players there. Um, but to me, like, the only real takeaway from that game, we talked about it before the start of the season in two sort of different lights, before Brendan Lepat decided to take the year off right. and post-Brendan Lepat taking the year off. Um, before, you know, we were very bullish on the Riders' offensive line depth, especially with the potential return of Dakota Shepley that never materialized, and then Brendan Lepat sort of stepped away for a bit everything kind of went sideways quickly and the depth very much went from quality to quantity. And I think we definitely saw that on Saturday. Yes. And this isn't something that it's, it has going to have any effect or any impact on anything they can do about it for this year at this point. But I think it is further, that game further emphasized the importance of perhaps even major changes along that offensive line in the off season, because they were without Dan Clark and then Josiah St. John got hurt in the first little bit of the game. So we don't even know if that would have made a difference or not. Probably not. But that O-line, the further you go down the depth chart, the scarier it gets. And uh, that's that's not that's not a good thing. Because as sort of uninspiring as Isaac Harker looked at times, I'm not going to get a read on anyone on offense because of how bad that offensive line was. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I think... When, when the line is that bad and Simon, like when the starters are in there, it's like they're a half second. They, they're a half second too bad. They need yeah. to, you know, be able to hold off the pressure for a half second longer. And I think we'd be having a much different conversation about Cody Fajardo that we are going to have here later in this episode. But I, they were like comically bad. They were like turnstile bad. And there was a fun fact that our own Justin Dunk brought up while he was broadcasting the Hardy Cup uh, with uh, Darren DuPont on CanadaWest.tv. And mm-hmm. Justin pointed out that the Huskies' offensive line was heavier than the Riders' offensive line heading into that game in Hamilton. And I get it. Size is not everything when it comes to O-line play, but it's a pretty big factor. And it kind of goes to speak for just how not good they've been uh, all, all this season. And as you said, further it goes down, further you go down the depth chart, the worse it gets. Which, I mean, in fairness, is true of most teams, but the starting point is quite low to begin with that 
you get into sort of that scary territory because there isn't, okay, you know, like these guys that maybe aren't ready yet are in the lineup, but at least Brennan Labatt is still there or at least Dan Clark is still there and they weren't in that game. There was no there was no real safety guard, I guess you could say. Evan Johnson maybe hasn't performed expectations at times this year. You'd really have to go back and watch the offensive line play, you know, player by player specifically to kind of get a good read on that. But it's just, it's concerning. And it's, I mean, it is what it is this year. And I'm, you know, we're not talking out of school. We're not saying anything that I'm sure Jeremy Odie and his team doesn't already know. But this has to be a point of emphasis in the offseason. It's basically the only real takeaway I took from that game. That yeah. and the defensive line is still scary good because they caused havoc for Hamilton when they played most of their starters for at least the first half. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's a good sign, even with some guys resting on that. And I'd say that entire defense. I know the score might not say it, but let's face it, that offense was doing nothing. Uh, I haven't seen the time of possession numbers here. I haven't pulled it up. I was too busy looking for the Sergio update. Uh, but it seemed like, especially in that first half, again, this is just kind of, me passively watching as I prepared to drink beers at work before heading to curling. Um, it just, it seemed like Hamilton had the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that defense was still able to hold in there against some pretty talented players from Hamilton. Uh, Cause again, they, they, they kind of gave it this, it, this was a preseason game. Like yeah. it didn't mean anything for the tiger cats. Didn't mean anything for the riders. And that's about the entertainment value you got out of it. But even like, for entertainment value, like I, I almost don't want to see the CFL's TV numbers for this week because I think they're going to be a dumpster fire. Because there was, there was at least the preseason. You have the hope of the season coming, maybe seeing a breakout guy here. It's like, hey, here's our team, but shittier. So have fun. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. it's it's not going to be pretty, and it's not really. I mean, there's not a lot you can do about it because the final week of every football season in every league is always kind of. Eh. in a lot of ways there's not a whole lot you can do about it but given the year the CFL has had and just how bad those eh games were it's it's not a great step toward the playoff for the league overall and I will talk about the game against Calgary in a second here but I think overall if we're talking the overall everything that the CFL is facing this year this may be the most important playoff in their history like these games have to be good or we could be talking about, I think, some serious long-term damage league because this is this is the time of the year where you know sort of interest from the casual to sub-casual fans sort of picks up in the CFL, especially mm-hmm. you know you know locally when their team is in the playoffs. Like, hey, you know, you know, uh, maybe not the games this weekend are in Saskatchewan, Hamilton, so they're not really the best examples of that because those fan right. bases do care. But generally speaking, if the games you know in Montreal or in Toronto or you know Calgary to agree, Edmonton, Vancouver. That's when sort of the casual fan to sub-casual fan says, hey, there's a playoff game in town this weekend. you want to go? Cool. And they, right, actually, exactly. and they actually kind of get on board and excited about that. And the games generally get better and, you know, a little more interesting and exciting. And so, you know, they've kind of lost a lot of momentum as the year's gone on. The game's been bad. The numbers have been lagging. You know, everything's kind of gone wrong. And they need something in the playoffs here to try and salvage something or else there's going to be, you know, sort of, a lot of fingers crossed and a lot of toes crossed heading into next season that there wasn't too much damage and they can rebuild off of something. Yeah. And hope that it just, that this year was essentially just a, a write off. No, you're right. Joel there. And I think the playoff matchups are intriguing enough. I do hope and think, cause let's face it. Those three games against Calgary were largely, I would say the writers most entertaining games of the year. Yeah. They're pretty good games. Yeah. 
Yeah, all of them decent games. Uh, you know, Hamilton, Toronto is always going to be fun. Anytime you can watch it, Tim Hortons Field, it always looks like it's going to be a good time, right? Well, they have so, to beat Montreal for that to happen next week first, though, but yeah. Oh, right, yes, yes, I'm getting ahead of... <laughs> okay, Forgot Steve the... Simmons not knowing when the Argos haven't, have or haven't hosted East Finals. Right, exactly. Well, that's exactly... <laughs> well, and, and in fairness, um, the Argos, who generally have a pretty good social media team, kind of gone invisible since clinching that East Final. To, to a degree, but I digress. It was more just me getting it wrong, probably because I was more focused on watching the games this weekend. But I'm with you. Um, I think it's very important to build momentum to what hopefully will be a very good Grey Cup game. Uh, if not, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of casual eyes because the NFL was once again pretty good this weekend and college football was once again pretty good. And I hope that people have listened to us on our soapboxes and and started attending local football. Uh, it does seem like the Hardy Cup here in, in Saskatoon was... if Like, I wasn't there, but it looked like a near sellout. Uh, you had the PFC Final, Hilltop's Thunder, same thing, looked very well attended. So maybe people are still supporting football, but just not so much what's been a very bleh season for the CFL. And I think that last week encapsulates what the season has been just a lot of mm -hmm. bleh a lot of apathy and yeah let's hope it gets turned up in the playoffs because if not i mean thankfully we still record in the off season not as frequently uh, no. we'll be able to tee off on that a few times yeah and i think that that's going to be an ongoing discussion throughout the off season and coming up a great cup week i know the commissioner who has been who is finally going to have to say something in front of everyone um for the first time probably this year He's going to have to face some questions there, and I hope for once he's actually honest about the state of this league because there's obviously been a lot of, you know, wool pulled over our eyes over the years and a lot of hurrah, hurrah, hurrah whenever he comes out with these things and they're always great and everything's shiny and they talk about everything that's good that happened. But I think it's very important for the commissioner to come out this year at Grey Cup for the state of the league and say, hey, you know what? We know things aren't rosy right now. We have to fix the business. We have to fix the game on the field. We have to do these things. They don't necessarily have to come out with, you know, a 27-point plan to say how they're going to get to that point, but they have to make it clear that fixing these things is starting with the field on the product, the product on the field is, <laughs> you know, a priority for them. Because even if it was just a COVID down year and things tick up a little bit next year, I don't know if that's quite enough to compete with what is out, uh, what else is out there right now, football or otherwise. Yeah, no, I would, I would absolutely agree with you. And I would be, I'd be shocked and I hate to say it that I'd be shocked if the CFL actually came out came out and admitted that. Mm -hmm. I think they're really bad for just sticking their head in the sand and saying mm -hmm. everything's fine. By the way, look at all these global players. So I hope they do. Yeah. I don't think they will, and I don't think that's going to help anybody. No, it's not. And it's it's. And I think the questions towards Randy Ambrosi are going to be stronger than ever. And this is going to be a real test of his commissionership. And a test of the CFL's PR team to make sure he's ready to answer these questions. Well, yeah, I mean, if the, if, <laughs> if the PR, if, if the CFL has shown, like when he went to go ask for money from the government and basically yeah. said, just give us money, let's hope they've learned from that misstep with the eight employees they still have. Yeah. So, yes, of course, the playoffs start this weekend, and there's I saw some discussion on Twitter. I haven't really had time to listen to the talk shows yet about whether... There was a whole lot of discussion about how much that game might bleed into the playoff game. And I just hate that kind of talk. Right. And I just, I wrote it in the piece. I really don't subscribe to the theory in, frankly, any sport 
of game to game momentum can momentum switch and you know is there such a thing within a game sure i'll give you that but even that changes on a dime for no rhyme or reason so there's real no real I don't even know if there's really actually true basis to it, but regardless, I think from game to game, especially in today's, you know, sort of sports climate where these guys and all these athletes are very fine-tuned, they're, you know, more mentally prepared than they've ever been, and, you know, they all have the 24-hour rule and the whole thing like that, that I really don't think one thing from a game carries over to the next a whole lot. And so, yeah, the Riders shit the bed and did not play well against Hamilton, but they had no, I mean, on offense, they had basically no one in the lineup. And I just don't think it really is concerning to me at all no, that I'm that game went the way it went. And if we're if it does, if it is a concern, and if this is you know if I'm wrong about all this, then that is currently true of every team in the CFL West. So at least everyone is on the same footing right now because the Bombers right. have lost two in a row. Calgary pulled off a miracle against Winnipeg in that game, but looked completely useless for 55 minutes. Yeah. And of course, the Riders had the game that they did. So if that's the case, then everyone sucks, and we should all just go home. <laughs> just just it's like the joke i make when i begin a curling game after i win the coin toss i'm like you guys just want to call it for us we can go drink beers yep uh sadly <laughs> nobody ever takes me up on that uh, no. and i rarely win the coin toss but uh i'm with you I, I i think there are two kinds of losses when it comes to a team uh the one being the game you wanted to win and the other one being the game you just don't give a shit about right mm-hmm. uh i don't think anybody I know the takes out there that you always want to head in the playoffs on a high note, but let's face it. When you're benching as many humans as you can bench and leaving guys at home and wrapping them in bubble wrap, you know, the team is not really like that. Like everybody came out and said, these are basically preseason games. So I I would strongly disagree with anybody that says, Oh, this looks bad heading into the playoffs. Um, I think they look decent before this game. So there's that. And again, going back to, entertainment value you know i think you're gonna have a good matchup with saskatchewan calgary because again there are two teams that don't like each other you've got the two brothers we've seen both coaches get real aggressive at times when they were showing their hand against each other in that like three game series the two of them had and uh i would say yeah i i think that's been the most entertaining football the writers have had all year so i'm really looking forward to it and it's no gimme calgary looked like shit against Basically, I mean, Winnipeg played, to, to Winnipeg's credit, they played a lot of defensive guys. It was more the offensive yeah. guys that got the week off. Um, so, yeah, that's still a very good bomber defense. Um, but, yeah, Calgary doesn't look like the dominant force they have been in years gone past. But, you know, they're going to step it up in Regina. They will, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell loves coming in and silencing that crowd at Mosaic. Oh, for sure. And to be clear... When I come out and I say that what happened in Hamilton will have absolutely no bearing on what happens in the West semifinal, that right. does not mean that I think the Riders are going to be perfectly fine and romp all over the Calgary Stampeders. That's, oh, absolutely that's, not. That's certainly not the case. There are going to be challenges for them in that game. Most specifically, number one, as we've seen in just about every other game, you know, a big key for them is going to be making sure that they somehow slow down the early strike that Calgary seems to get against them. That was the trend in, I think, all three games they scored first, and they scored first fairly quickly, especially the first two, and the second one when they scored the touchdown that I believe was the first play of the game. So, because every single game basically played out more or less the same, where Calgary came out strong, played well early, took a lead, the Riders kind of slowly got their game going as they do, and in two out of three, they just ran out of time. So, if they can... You know, they're going to have to figure out how to slow down that early shot from Calgary. 
And they also have to figure out how to get their offense going a little bit quicker and do something more than we've seen on offense against them because we know what they are at this point. They're unlikely to score 45 points suddenly. Right. Now they probably will because we said their offense is shit, but anyway. Uh, of course, it's going to be a like western <laughs> it's going to be a west final shootout that's going to yeah. come down to like Cody throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the game to win. Yeah, so I mean, I expect these games to be fairly similar to what we've seen so far this year between these two teams. And those are sort of the things. It's going to be okay. Can Calgary get that early body blow again early and sort of get the riders chasing because the rider offense is built for that or Will the Cal or will Saskatchewan figure out how to slow down Calgary early, make it a bit of a drag, and slowly sort of pick up their momentum as they tend to do in games? It's sort of simplifying a little bit, but I think ultimately that's where this game is going to come down to. That's kind of how the Riders play games, other than the mm-hmm. first game of the regular season. And it's going to be close, it's going to be tight, it's probably going to be a little ugly because that's how the Riders play, and that's how the Riders have to win games. And that's kind of how Calgary has played, uh, mm-hmm. minus a couple games here through this regular season, that it's also been ugly. I mean, Calgary still has that big playability that's going to get you off your seat, but mm-hmm. they've also had a lot of mistakes, a lot of ugly games. Bo Levi Mitchell has not looked like the same guy, so uh, it's intriguing. I, yes. I, I, I think I think it's going to be close. It might be ugly. And thanks to Curling Canada for scheduling it in a way that you and I can mostly follow along the West final and then go watch the men's files at the uh, Olympic curling trials. Yes. Sunday is going to be quite the day for us with the women's final at 11 a.m. Whatever's left of the East final at that point, East semifinal at that point, West semifinal, and then load up the car quickly and head to the South style center for the men's final. So yeah, Sunday, Sunday is going to be a day for us. (laughs) It it is all while also sneaking in as much red zone as possible. So you know what? Actually, I had the two TV set up in my basement. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think that's might be what we will need uh, for Sunday. Potentially. Yes, that, that, that seems like a good move. Who won't be playing on Sunday is, of course, our boy, Sergio Castillo, who, as we talked, has, of course, the Bombers blew that game. But, of course, the... The bright spot was our boy accounted for 100% of the right, of the Bombers' points. I almost feel like, like again, I wasn't really following along, but I almost feel like Winnipeg was like, okay, let's just be good enough on offense to make sure Sergio is what we think he is, right? And it just, I, every time I saw a field goal, like, A, um, my phone was just blowing up. I barely, same thing. I was watching I didn't watch any Cup. of that game, so that's why you didn't get a text from me about Sergio's performance. <laughs> that's that's also fair. And I was watching the Hardy Cup, being the good uh, Saskatonian that I am from time to time. So I moved um, on to Utah, crushing Oregon, and it was just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but but Sergio, more importantly, four for five, yeah. and people are gonna go. Well, he missed one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From fifty-two on a pretty not very nice day in Calgary, Alberta. So Sergio. Uh, is now seven for nine on the season, uh, or seven of nine, the old sexy lady, Borg lady from Star Trek Voyager. That's a good omen heading into the playoffs whenever you can conjure up prepubescent or postpubescent John Fraser Borg-related fantasies um, with my favorite kicker. So I now- mean, the other immature joke was he should have missed one more. Ah, in nice. game six of nine. Ah. <laughs> I prefer the highbrow humor of seven of nine. Of course you do, is. yes, because uh, highbrow humor is definitely your thing. Yeah. Oh, totally, and it's totally what the show is based around. Yes. Um, 
Sergio, yeah, awesome. He's exactly what Winnipeg needed. And finally, uh, the nice thing is, is seeing other people talk about his performance going like, my boy, and now if my goddamn jersey would show up that's been in shipping, like, like, how long does it take to put Sergio on a jersey and ship it to a guy? Apparently a while. And Apparently four fucking weeks. To bring up, you know, sort of the phenomena that is now the Sergio, you know, way on Twitter. I believe I even saw a tweet from the CFL that was just like, Serge. They didn't put the wow. EO at the end for some reason, but it was definitely like S-S-S-S-E-R-G. So, wow. So yeah. that is like basically copywritten off the shirts. Yeah. So, I mean. the shirts are five S's and then, you know, it's like Sergio on the shirts. So. Um, I think they owe me royalties, or at least, like, okay, if my jersey shows up with an autograph, I will forgive them, but still, it's been four <laughs> weeks, I need this for the West Final, I just need it to wear it, uh, I was really hoping to have it, so I could wear it to Sastel Center, Center to cheer on the guys also wearing blue for the curling trials, also for Manitoba, our friends team, Mike McEwen. Okay, so does that mean, are we gonna wear our Sergio shirts on Friday, then? Yes. Yeah. Yes, oh, one hundred percent. Yes. 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 I will make sure mine is watched because I wore my Sergio shirt on Saturday to cheer for uh, to cheer for McEwen and you know fucking a mic happened. So, um, I can't. I can't guarantee you. Well, in fairness, one's a nine a.m. Okay, the nine a.m. draw. I don't think I'll be belligerent. Uh, we'll go out for a nice lunch after uh, the seven p.m. I make no promises, Joel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean. Your wife's seen me plastered, so I think yeah. that's 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 okay. And now my father-in-law has seen all gas no <laughs> so I, I think everybody in the group has seen me at peak zesty, and we're good from there. Yeah, there was also uh, all gas no breaks today from uh, the Edmonton Elks. Well done on that. As that they drop well the done. match on basically the entire organization and says, uh, it's, it's time to start over here. And yeah. uh, hard to blame them. I'll, like, I'll be honest, like, okay... You know, the coach and the GM wasn't all that surprising. Uh, telling the president to get lost within a year of his this first full season yes. is an interesting move. But uh, it, it's, it's hard to argue. Like, obviously, something had gone on there. And in one of a rare moment of clarity, I mean, me, you, and Dan Plaster all had concerns about this team heading into the year because something didn't seem right off the field. And, oh, boy. Ah! Oh, boy. Were we ever more right than we ever thought on that one because – uh, sort of watching Twitter this afternoon while I was watching curling while the press conference was on with one of the board of members of the board of directors. Um, there wasn't really a lot of talk about they were fired because the team sucked. There was a lot of talk about they were fired because the organization was a mess and there was a lot of shit going on behind the scenes. <laughs> right. As we've alluded to and as we've heard lots of rumors about, it seems like when the men on top are anti-vaccine, Uh, Again, we don't have concrete proof of this. We've got lots of fairly surface-level rumblings that I'm sure we could dig into. I'm comfortable enough saying that I think that had a large part in doing with it. Um, But, yeah, and just – but, I mean, just look at the mess. Like, you're trading Trevor Harris, who is still a a starting CFL quarterback. Yeah. You're going to get Nick – a little better in Montreal, so clearly was a victim of circumstances. Certainly, right? And we've criticized Harris for being openly anti-vax on this pod uh, on this podcast before, and so I'll stay away from him being a douche. Um, but then the Arbuckle move is the one that I find weird. You know, 
Cornelius was clearly the guy and was showing some signs of life. And again, as we are the official podcast of CFL officials, I did have a CFL official reach out to me and say, this guy, you're right. This guy's got serious potential. Mm-hmm. And those are guys that are seeing him on the field, like closer than anybody other than other players. So the, the only ones, the only ones on the field watching guys with, without a bias, basically. Well, ex- exactly. Yeah. Zero bias, you know, telling me, Hey, your take might actually be right, which is so fucking rare. And I mean, this again, I've known this guy for years. So, um, that or it says a lot about the state of officiating this league. I don't know. <laughs> if they think our takes are good, then I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. or at least yours. <laughs> Just no, no, kidding. No. He didn't say it was a good take. He yeah. said you might actually be right for once. Was exactly what okay. He said. That that's proper wording then. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even a hey. It, it was like you might actually be right about Cornelius because he does look really good at field level. You're like okay, and then they go and give the money to Arbuckle. On the same note, like like that's the only thing I I, I saw a tweet. And I think it was one of the guys from the Piffles podcast, and and I want to give them love anytime I can, just even if the off chance it wasn't one of them. <laughs> but I think it was one of those guys that pointed out that, like, wouldn't you have – you knew this was coming. Wouldn't you have made this before they basically made a franchise decision for you? Like, Yeah, I, I mean, it's weird that they left – that the organization basically let it happen still. I mean, I mean, I, I still – I think the Arbuckle signing's good. I mean, no, no matter who, no matter who's coming, no matter who comes, no matter who comes in next year, it's a good move for the organization to have options at quarterback. And I know right. there's still a lot of discussion about well, why didn't he play a game? And I'm like, I think this lends further prudence to the fact that he shouldn't have played a game because maybe they knew this was coming and said, okay, let's get him into this organization yep. on the off chance we do stick around. But if we don't, I mean, but there was no point to exposing him to any of this this year at this point. So why not let him start fresh in camp next year and? Yeah, it turned out to be the right move because there's absolutely no point on seeing him in anything on what Jamie Elizondo went that offense was doing this year. Right, and it seems like they're moving in the right direction. Like they, from what you hear, for one, mm-hmm. they brought in Wally Buono to kind of oversee this thing. Yeah, like if there's anybody better to go out and get for like a short term, you need to help us fix this culture. Uh, come be a consultant, essentially. It's Wally Buono, who I have a great Wally Buono story that is totally off topic. Um, my first breakup say. I went, but it's, it's kind of on brand for me. Um, <laughs> Looking forward so to my... how you tie this back into the Alex. Go ahead. Right. Right. Uh, okay. Um, I think I'll tie this back in the Alex now. So anyways, Wally Buono, uh, 2007, my first breakup ever. I had been, this was back when touchdown Manitoba only went from 11 to one. Well, of course it's the 07 Grey Cup. I'm there with my friends and, uh, I am Zesty John by, like, three. So we head to the Metro Toronto Convention Center, and I'm heading down an escalator with my friends, and coming up the escalator is Wally Buono. Much like fucking A. Mike, uh, I have this moment where I, a drunk me says the quiet part loud, and I tap my buddy and go, Hey, that's Wally fucking Bono! As he's coming up the other side of the escalator, to which Wally just nods and shakes his head and looks at me and says, Have a good, a good time? <laughs> which i feel like he probably walked in shook his head like that meme of the of the guy holding the pizza box when everything is on fire and went you having a good time because i think he's a good pick uh he's gonna help get everything back on track and i'm i'm glad edmonton had to burn it all mm-hmm. down because like they had reached this season not a level of fan anger yeah. like it seemed like everybody was angry about the eddie Steele thing they had reached apathy, and that is the last place you yeah. want to do because that's a sign that, like, you're fucked. 
Like when only ten thousand people are showing up at the game, mm-hmm. and meanwhile you're selling on Commonwealth on back selling out Commonwealth on back to back nights for soccer, you got a problem. Yeah, and I I think that was that had to be the thing where they said, okay, this isn't just a coaching change, this isn't a general manager change, this is a complete house cleaning because, as you said, it's one thing I think the fan base can accept, you know, sort of ineptitude on the field if. Right. There's a clear plan in place. If things look, you know, if the organization has its ducks in a row and it's like, okay, stick with us. This is leading somewhere instead of whatever the hell all that was this season. Because clearly everything was off from the very start. I mean, if dumbasses like us can figure it out, then that should have been probably more obvious. And I think in retrospect, it's, you know, fairly clear as much as I think in some ways it was, you know, good at the time. It looked good in theory to bring in such an outsider as president of a CFL team. Right. Clearly, you know, bringing an American with absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of this league and the sport really didn't work out in any sort of way. And no, and no, like, no. I, like I, the CFL badly needs outside voices to take it to the next level. But it, obviously, Chris Preston was, was, was not that guy. <laughs> no, no, and and, and 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 the CFL at its roots are it's still you still need to be out in the community. You still need to be doing uh, those things like your local junior A team. You still need to be relevant to the community because that's the only way that anybody ever bonds with you because your players are ninety percent of them are gone within a year or two, right? Either they're gone to the NFL, they're gone to a different team because that whole system is just screwed up, right? Yeah. Um, and from all accounts, that largely went away. This year with the Elks, and I get it, COVID and, and, and things have changed, but it just seemed like the, the outreach wasn't there. And yeah, and yeah it, I mean, it's funny that we managed to get I, – I largely credit Plaster because I feel like he's more observant than me uh, <laughs> for picking up on that. Uh, you know, I mean, he does work for the CBC. That honestly gives him more, more credentials. I mean, I, in fairness, of our preseason game, I came up with the question of whether – the Elks are going to be a mess because of their off-field work. So, I mean, I saw it too. So. And I agreed with you guys. So I just, I just went. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, at the time, it just looked sort of, you know, normal, weird football stuff where you're pissing off guys like Kenny Stafford and Derek Dennis, and that's right. That seems like a weird thing to do. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that, and that was it too. Like the whole Jason Moss thing. Like, was Moss yeah. really like, like it just? It's funny that okay, yeah, Moss has friction with some apparent friction with some guy or observed friction with some guys on the offense in, in Ryderville. But if you listen, everybody, everybody's fine. Like he's just. He's a fiery guy. You got passionate players. You're going to have disagreements. And they kind of pegged it on Jason Moss. And then, like, the shit show just didn't really stop. If anything, it got worse after Jason Moss left. So, uh, yeah, burn it all down. And I hope – and I said it earlier. Like, you need your Western teams to still carry this league. Mm -hmm. You know, Saskatchewan and and Winnipeg – they're always going to give a shit no matter how bad the teams are. That's that's the way that's the nature of this piece. Calgary and Edmonton, you gotta be relevant, right? You know, hey, twenty thousand people showed up for that last game in Calgary. That's good. You know, the stamps are looking better. But like Edmonton has to be relevant because there is no uglier sight on TV than an empty Commonwealth. That just mm-hmm. that looks real bad. Like an empty Commonwealth looks worse than a half empty Toronto, just the size of that building, like that's a real bad look for the league, and it, it, it's 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 kind of the barometer, if you will. Will so, I hope to me they gotta hire somebody to to be president, to be GM, 
that has CFL experience, that's been there before, even just a new face, even if you might not think they're the guy long-term, bring in somebody, make them the guy, and then figure it out from there. Give yourself back some credibility because the CFL needs people to give a shit in Edmonton. Yeah. No, there's absolutely no disagreement there. Like, this... This has to turn around. This has to turn around fast. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to go win the Grey Cup next year. No. But there has to be confidence in the community, and the community has to care. And right. that's just where it is at the end of the day. And empty stadiums at Edmonton are are bad for this league. There's no question yep. about it. And that, that has to change. And, 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 and as much as I'd hate to see him leave um, Winnipeg, I think if I'm the Elks, I'm basically give, handing a blank check to Danny McManus. Former Edmonton football team great, knows his shit, been in the league a long time, uh, and, you know, really cut his teeth in the front office of the Bombers team. But, but like, to me, you bring in a Danny McManus for the GM role. Maybe you don't make him president, you make him GM, and then you got your credibility back in a hurry because that's a CFL guy, that's a personable guy, uh, and you can start moving back upwards from there. Yeah, you can. He's one of twelve names that are on a, that is on a list compiled by our John Hodge. You can find that at threedownation.com to see uh, who John thinks uh, should be names that are being considered for the job. The the smart, like well put together research job, not not this job. That's no. just a drunken asshole that talks a lot. No, absolutely not. Hey, Jacques Cartier, show's over. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.